Our podcast guest today is an industrial psychologist. She shares with us how migrating to New Zealand as a teenager shaped her future. She also gives us insights into the power of the mind and what she learned about working with New Zealand military and particularly the elite SAS regiments. Her own experience of being kidnapped at gunpoint in Syria have also shaped not only her experiences but what she now understands about the power of the mind. If you want to know what makes high performers tick, today's podcast guest Alia Bojilova is just who you need to hear from. Alia, welcome along to The Breakthrough. Great Thanks to have you here. Having me. Thank you. Now, I'm going to kick you off some fast facts, see if we can get to know you just a, just a little bit. So I've got some rapid-fire questions for you. Let me get myself okay. ready. Okay. Yes, good, to, good go. to go. Good to go. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Breakfast or dinner? Dinner, by a mile. Ah, yes. by a mile. Yes. Okay. Fruit or veggies? Definitely veggies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beer or wine? Wine. Or vodka? Both. Both? Not at the same time, though. Okay. Yes. No. 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 Mm. no it doesn't, no. doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say a tea or coffee, but I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking coffee. I'm right here. Yeah? Yes. I'm in my perfect space right now. I'm in my happy spot. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. You're on holiday. Are you bungee jumping or are you sitting in the pool lounger? I am working towards being someone who can enjoy the pool, but I find it really, really uncomfortable. Right. Sitting still for excessive yeah. periods of time doesn't work. my cup of tea. No. So right. give me the mountain or the bungee rope anytime. Okay. And would we find you in trainers or heels, shoes-wise? After years of just wearing army boots, yeah. I realized I have a huge passion for high heels. Right. But that's just because I've lost years and years of my youth wearing yeah. boots. Right, right. <laughs> so currently, currently probably high heels, but nice. what my body really craves is, yeah. you know, yep. no shoes at all. No shoes mm-hmm. at all. I like it. Now we're getting into the real heavy hitter questions. Dum, dum, dum. Cats Ready. or dogs? Oh, dogs, but I'm not a loud one. I'm not a loud one. I'm still trying to prove myself as a okay. responsible adult. Yeah, yes. okay. That's like, that's like an exit question. If you say cats, it's like... <laughs> that's yeah, it. Good, good. Good to know. Yes. Uh, lion or elephant? Lion was my instinct. Mm. Mm. Do you know why? What makes you think lion? Maybe it's because I think I should be saying that. You know, it seems a little bit more... I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Okay. And gym or couch? Why would, why would anyone pick the couch? I don't know about gyms, but you know. Or exercise, exercise. or couch. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. What would we find in your weekly exercise routine? So currently I'm trying to move away from um, intensity and trying to move into yoga a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This is part of my moving closer to the pool thing as I'm maturing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I'm struggling with that transition, right. you know? Yeah. I'm struggling. My body is craving intensity. Yeah. So yeah. I've learned to accept that perhaps one must do what one must, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Little little dose here and there. Yes. Yeah, yes. so I'm more the intensity in, but try to put a, you know, a few 10, 15 minute yoga blocks in just to make sure the body still works. Bit of a balance. That's yeah. right. That's nice. right. Good job. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, fast facts done and dusted. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Ali, your uh, profession now, could I appropriately say psychologist? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What drew you to psychology initially? To be fair, it was because I was terribly bored of law school. Mm-hmm. So what drew me into it is that I found myself just surviving one class from the other. Mm-hmm. And psych school was just next door and I right. needed to fill some gaps in terms of numbers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but my master's happened quite serendipitously. I was particularly interested in the way in which we might integrate diversity of thought in New Zealand's uh, employment system. And mm-hmm. there was a scholarship available for me All at right. the time in that, mm-hmm. in that space. So that's what drew me into my 
postgraduate studies and the rest of it is history. Mm. So it felt impossible not to be interested in anything to do with psychology. Sure. Yeah. Diversity of thought. Um, well, I think diversity is such a huge topic um, for us currently. Absolutely. But very interested in the diversity of thought because um, actually uh, business partner Mike that you know, mm. um, he talks a lot about uh, diversity is not just about having, uh, you know, gender diversity because yeah. you can have a board with, uh, as an example, Absolutely. both males and females, Absolutely. but if they're all accountants, you know, you're still not creating a lot of diversity of thought probably. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you think about diversity of thought in the, in the workplace? So as a, as a Bulgarian female, I guess, I, I find it really uncomfortable sometimes when we are putting diversity into a box that doesn't necessarily fit what we need. And so diversity of thought will be true diversity for me, a sense of being able to contribute with different nuances, different ideas, different viewpoints, very deliberately and seeking those really purposefully. So um, back in the day, what really confronted me is that we had a lot of immigrants and refugees coming to New Zealand mm -hmm. who had managed to get into New Zealand to contribute with the skills and attributes that they had in sure. their home country. Mm -hmm. But here, they didn't quite fit in. Mm -hmm. and so they didn't quite fit into the, the traditional or classical uh, definitions of what we perceive to be good or otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what began to spark that, that sequence of questions in my own head is what is it that we are looking for? How are we defining it? What are we seeking to achieve mm -hmm. with the minds and the capabilities and the talent that we have? And most importantly, what are the conditions that we create in those environments that allow talent to either thrive or to be constrained? Mm -hmm. and what do we lose along the way? Mm -hmm. So as you obviously do a lot of work with business leaders, yes, yeah. how do you, if you were to uh, have a business leader that's only just starting to think about diversity of thought in mm -hmm. their organisation, mm -hmm. how could they, what would be the 101 steps, you know, what would be the early stage steps that they might be able to think about or undertake for diversity of thought in their, in their organisations? I'm seeing and I'm working along with some of the most extraordinary leaders that we are blessed to have in New Zealand. And one of the things that I find really confronting is how challenging it is for us to access unbridled curiosity and what might sit in the mind of another. Mm. And so curiosity is a critical component um, of being able to work along with diversity to consciously and to deliberately seek it and to see what sits behind it. And so if I was a young, you know, an aspiring leader right mm -hmm. now, the one thing that I will be trying to focus on is how do I cultivate curiosity that is unbridled, curiosity mm -hmm. that without judgment seeks to identify what sits in the mm -hmm. minds of those around me. Um, and if we had that, the rest of it follows. Mm. Mm. What, what holds our curiosity back? What's the barrier to it? I've reflected a lot on that. And I think the biggest component of it is that we don't know where to focus our attention. We get scattered. We tend to preoccupy ourselves with a whole host of white noise that is entirely irrelevant. And so the sense of busyness, the sense of mm -hmm. busyness for busyness sake, that yes. horrible flavor of the, I don't know if yep. it's 70s or 80s or mm. 90s, or what does it mean to be accomplished, mm. tends yep. to sway us away from the yep. sorts of things we need to be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot with our members about what are you doing that's adding value to the organization, mm -hmm. not what's you know, perceived to be productive. Yes, you know, I think the, uh, we're seeing organizations succeeding that are not about how many hours you spend at your, work, at your desk or your, you know, in your work environment. Yeah. It's not about how many things you get ticked off on the list every day mm -hmm. because we've had a perception that that's being productive, yes, ticking of stuff course. off the list. But yeah. you know, whether, where are you adding value? It's kind of a, a question we're always asking our, our members. And imagine, imagine that bit, I really appreciate that point, the adding value component. Even if you weren't trying to be, or if leaders weren't trying to be, let's say, averagely good humans, mm -hmm. 
that the micro moments that we engage in on a daily basis engage yeah. other people's attentions and have mm -hmm. so much capacity to influence mm -hmm. remarkable outcomes that we are mm -hmm. actually seeking. But what we are doing instead is kind of crawl through yeah. an enormous pile mm -hmm. of white noise and mm -hmm. habitual stuff, stuff mm -hmm. we inherited as opposed to being deliberate in our engagements. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So as a uh, you know, psychologist, what is it that keeps bringing us back to habit? Why do we like those things that are so familiar? Well, we are designed to like things that are familiar, even if it's to our detriment. However, I'm firmly at the belief that whilst the brain likes the familiar, we need to buy more into the idea that it thrives in a world less traveled. Absolutely. That's the crux of it. Mm. And so when we are busy, when we are running at much lower capacity than we can reasonably mm -hmm. access, it's excusable that we tend to default to stuff we know doesn't work for us. But that point of excusable stops being interesting totally. <laughs> when you're experiencing totally. the same grind yeah. over and over again. Yeah. So what draws us into that is perhaps the fact that we are preoccupied. Mm -hmm. What really should shift us is the fact that we cannot focus on remarkable, new, um, thriving ways of being whilst we are paying attention to stuff that is just white noise. Yep. Mm. So how do we break that cycle? How do we get it? How do we clear our space a bit from the white noise, from the to-do list yes. to the yeah. next thing that always seems urgent? Mm -hmm. How do we break away from that and, and get into a zone where we can contemplate the uh, things that are going to push us, but ultimately give us a lot more um, joy, yeah. um, a lot more sense of achievement? How do we how do we break into that zone? There, do you know my mind is racing with million suggestions, and I want to I want to write a list of things to do right now, which is yeah. the opposite of what we should be doing, sure. right? We should be undercomplicating or, or, or simplifying things. We mm -hmm. should be pulling the string through that connects all of these points of importance for us. So, but the first instinct that I have is, we know that for people to shift, or for us to shift, or for leaders to shift the way in which they engage with what's around them, all that it takes is a choice. We have to make a choice. The reason why we don't make a choice is that we find the familiar a little bit more comforting mm -hmm. and the future state a little unsettling. So what would be the imperative is probably the most important question to me. And, and I think the, the imperative is that unless we shift, we will not be able to thrive. Unless we shift, we will continuously re-experiencing that, mm -hmm. um, that horrible nightmare that we are all trying to avoid. Yeah. So if we start off with this, the only way for us to succeed is to start being deliberate and mm -hmm. choiceful, mm -hmm. to notice how much stuff our brains are being bombarded with yep. and to appreciate that we have to be very deliberate around mm -hmm. what we choose to engage mm -hmm. with. Yep. That's, that's yep. to me, good enough. Developing the awareness to begin with and, yes. and choosing yep. to, like mm -hmm. good old Viktor Frankl said, stretch mm -hmm. the gap between event and yes. reaction. Mm -hmm. We are in a good place. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the realization for people that um, the to-do list is never done. Yes. Because I think we, uh, you know, regularly live in the zone of, oh, I'll just get all this stuff finished, yeah. and then I'll do the thing that's interesting or more compelling or mm -hmm. will add more add more value. Yeah. And I think as a um, acknowledgement, the to-do list is never done. Yes. So just park it. Put some time in the in the diary in the week in mm -hmm. the in the month that's uh, for you for your growth for the things you want to achieve. You've got to start there, and then you you do the other other bits afterwards. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, works that's well. good. Works mm -hmm. well. Um, tell me, you've you've worked with a, a multitude of different organisations, both uh, internally as yes. a as a member of those organisations, and then also in your consulting role now. What's uh, if I said what's the most interesting organisation you've worked with? Who would spring to mind? 
Is it a sin that I consider each and every one of them interesting, equally interesting, but interesting in a different way? Come on, you can't, you can't, you can't fit <laughs> it like that. I mean it. Maybe yeah, this is I'm just sure the, they're all the interesting, <laughs> but there must be some that kind of like, oh wow, ah. they were. That was, you know, that was challenging for you to work in work in that organisation or in that environment. I must say, the military, the New Zealand Defence Force, is probably still the most interesting organisation that I've ever worked with, and mm -hmm. it's because it has so many different layers of complexity yeah. Yeah. as a part of what it needs to be doing, but most importantly because somehow, magically, it ends up being able to align. So we've got different di different focus areas, different expertise, mm -hmm. uh, different entities that mm -hmm. seamlessly, and sometimes less seamlessly, sure. morph into mm -hmm. a cohesive entity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find that deeply compelling. So uh, it never ceases to be interesting. It never has been anything less than interesting, but most importantly, what I find fascinating is in some way, all that human talent that is sitting in it is able to orient itself towards that shared mission. Mm. And I haven't seen that level of um, eloquency in mm. terms of mm. alignment to mission elsewhere. Mm. That breaks my heart a little because I think in a, com in a corporate and a commercial, in a, in a civilian space, we have huge capacity to contribute, yeah. but I find ourselves being far more scattered Mm. than I have observed uh, people previously being in the military. Mm. Mm. Do you think it's something to do with the critical nature of what military has to do, you know, compared yeah. to a you know a civilian uh, corporate or, or business where yes, it's important, yes. but no one's going to die, you know, in a, in a military yeah. environment, you know, you're not only protecting yourself, but you're often protecting other other people, and we're literally talking about life and death. Do you think it's Possibly. it's that that kind of adds that uh, uh, sure. important component to that? Sure. I mean, I think that's that's definitely the the first impression that we would have is that there is that degree of criticality, and and all of the things that are hanging off of it would have to be focused towards that criticality and mm -hmm. risk. And yet, what I'm beginning to realise, this is actually an aha moment that I had a couple of years after I stepped away from the military as a full time officer, is that, you know, the the brain reads acute in the strangest of places, and I've seen people who are operating in an environments that have very little threat and risk in yes. them feeling far more stressed than I've ever right. seen anyone in the military being, right. even in situations of acuteness, acuity. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, of course, there are components of training, and yeah, sure. but it's buying into that and mm -hmm. feeling as if you are a key component to something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of corporate organizations, a lot of non-military organizations, I don't think maintain that same degree of discipline towards what is it that you do to make each human feel a critical part of the equation. Mm. So I wonder whether it's something to do with mm. that. So yeah. it's less about the external risk and threat because, yeah, right. let's face it, we are blessed that in the New Zealand Defence Force we don't, you know, we're not dealing with crisis necessarily here unless we're talking about, you know, sure. disaster. Mm. Um, and most of our personnel are committed to, you know, peacekeeping operations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yet we have that shared mindset mm. that is very much felt, seen, sensed. Mm. Uh, wherever you go, so. And, and what do you think the military does? How do they get that appreciation of the individual as part of the team? What do they do to make that happen? I think need for belonging mm. is something that appears to be very ingrained in, mm -hmm. in what leaders would be seeking to create, mm -hmm. um, uh, or what they are expected to create, mm -hmm. even if they aren't as blessed as others in making it happen and seamlessly. Sure. But that, that need for belonging mm -hmm. uh, and creating the opportunities for organizational members to feel as if they are a critical component, mm. no matter the role, no matter yeah, the rank, yes. is yep. an essential part yeah. of the equation. Okay. Yeah. And what drew you to the military in the first place? 
Shall I be honest? <laughs> uh, well, look, we yes, can hear both versions of the story. Yeah. Well, actually, I come from a military family, and right. when we moved to New Zealand, um, that that need to contribute was, and has always been very mm -hmm. pronounced in me. And mm -hmm. so it could have been part of my upbringing. Um, and Ali, how old were you when you moved to New Zealand? Seventeen. Mm -hmm. Seventeen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I did have that sense, uh, and it felt the right fit. But the reality is, after I finished my industrial psychology master's training, um, the rumor was that the military was the best place for a IO psychologist to go ahead and practice right. and develop the craft. And so I actually went to the officer selection board just so that they can see mm -hmm. how an exceptional mm -hmm. selection process is ran. Mm -hmm. And then I was selected. <laughs> and then right. you saw little about what I was selected about. Right. As I remember the person who was interviewing me was saying, if you weren't selected, as an officer, would you consider being a soldier? And, and my dumb answer to that was, well, can I be a psychologist and be a soldier? Sure, mm -hmm. why not? Mm -hmm. And he was looking at me mm -hmm. thinking, you have mm -hmm. not even read the, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, what yeah, were yeah. your sister? Come on, find your brain. But, you know, and, and so my plan was to step in and to contribute back to my new country for a little while, maybe mm -hmm. a year, maybe two, mm -hmm. and then go ahead and be a thriving civilian. And mm -hmm. then what, 12 years later, I was still there trying to, um, yeah, to so what, what kept you engaged? What changed that plan from two years to 12? What kept you so engaged? Okay, hand on heart, I did have, um, I hope that he's not going to watch it, but <laughs> <laughs> I did have an exceptional uh, boss who was uh, challenging, mm -hmm. yet thoroughly supportive in the best ways possible. And, and I, I can distinctly remember moments in my career after the military where I was filled with gratitude for some of the challenges that this boss of mine was pre presenting to me. But I think he was one step ahead of me at any given point. So I'm a very restless person. I've got um, almost harmful degree of curiosity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so he was a step ahead of me in crafting my career path. And before I knew it, he'd sensed that I was feeling a little bit bored yes. or slightly yes. rusty. Mm -hmm. Move on. Move me on. Yeah. He was exceptional. Mm. Still is exceptional. Right. Mm. Is he still in, was it he? He. He, yeah, he. Was he still in the military? He stepped away. All right. Yes. Okay. He followed He followed me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you showed the path? Yeah, he That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Mm. And I uh, understand you've done some work with the elite force in the New Zealand Defence Force, the yes. SAS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What uh, What insights have you, have you garnered from working with those soldiers? Because it's the... Um, I think we, yeah, as purely a civilian external use, you observe those or have the legend of them being the best of the best, that they have to go through a selection process yes. which is known as one of the toughest, both physical and uh, mentally demanding um, processes to, to go through. What have you, what have you learned? What have you observed? How could, what, what learnings have you had there that you can help us transfer into a civilian life? So. There are so many layers of reflections and learning that I gained through that period of time. And I still feel that this is probably the greatest gift I ever gained as a practitioner, as an officer, as well as as a human being, being exposed to this particular unit. Um, there is so much to the equation and, and they are indeed extraordinary humans. What I find really humbling is that there's such huge degree of true diversity coming back to that point mm -hmm. in that team. So um, for example, the first, sometime, um, after I stepped away from the unit, when I began to, uh, when I started my PhD research in the field of resilience, I went back to the unit to interview some of the individuals that I'd worked along with and find out what it is that made them who they were. I already had a ton of observations, sure. I already had years of experience mm -hmm. in how we were selecting, training and developing mm -hmm. them. 
But the first thing that um, instantly popped to mind when you put that, put that question to me is a quote that came from one of our very grounded, very pragmatic, very um, uh, black and white operators in mm -hmm. the internet. And he said, well, we all are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, that mm -hmm. sort of phrase. But then we, the best part about the unit is that we are all distinctly different, and that's absolutely true. So you have people coming in from all sorts of walk in life, uh, of life, uh, and the capacity for those different ways of thinking, different preferences, different mm -hmm. presentation, different styles, to morph into that shared frame of reference yeah. is, is um, on another level. I guess maybe coming back to the concept of threat, risk, Mm. the need for self-reliance, but mm -hmm. most importantly, utmost capacity to trust and be trusted drives all sorts of different behaviors Absolutely. in us. So yep. if, if you strip all of it, uh, you know, you've got the, the principle of the unrelenting pursuit of excellence, which mm -hmm. drives each individual to be their best, mm -hmm. to improve rather than prove themselves each day, right? Growth mm -hmm. mindset. Mm -hmm. But I think the added layer to that is the fact that they feel they can trust and feel trusted and that motivates and inspires and sort of um, sparks up a whole heap of dynamics mm -hmm. and behaviors. Mm -hmm. mm. And was it your observation that it's growth mindset people that come to the SAS in the first place? Or is it that some of them evolve and grow that when, they, when they're in? So here is, the, here is the, uh, a very important, um, that's, a, that's a great question. So the, the starting point to it is when I think to the selection course, I find it very difficult to imagine that someone who is there to prove themselves and who is trying to be better than someone else rather than better than themselves a minute ago yes. is ever going to make it through just the selection cycle right. because it's merciless. Right. Mm. So, you know, you don't get any, um, any encouragement, emotional encouragement, be it good or bad. Nobody shouts at you. Nobody claps at you when yep. you're ma making mm -hmm. it past an obstacle. Mm -hmm. So you've got to find it within yourself. You don't yeah. have anything else to stimulate mm -hmm. you. There are activities where you are completely isolated, and that's mm -hmm. by design, because mm -hmm. you have to dig deep and locate yourself in the mm -hmm. process. So if you didn't have growth mindset and that curiosity, it's an incredibly hard challenge. Yeah. It's so horrendous yeah. to begin with. You'd fall at <laughs> the first hurdle, right? Absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely, you fall by the wayside. So then you've got to have an abundance of growth mindset to begin with, also because very little is known about the unit. And so to want to discover what's mm. behind those unwelcoming walls, mm. You either have to be slightly mad, and hopefully good psychologists will cancel that out. Or oh, so slightly mad is not good? <laughs> slightly mad, well, you know, it depends. It depends on what you might weigh. Uh, a little tiny bit of mad is good, but, you know, a little bit more than that, not so mm -hmm. much. And then past that point, in that environment, I guess if the environment was such that it took away the opportunity for that individual to embrace curiosity, to ask questions, to mm -hmm. explore, to experiment, to... Um, find different iterations to improve their own experience. Mm. I don't know if they'd be able to hold the kind of talent that, right. the, that the organization selects. Right. So it's a combination of personal traits, mm -hmm. but also very carefully nurtured states. Mm -hmm. And the states that are created by experience and by the environment are mm -hmm. ones that need to be minded. So creating those states and experiences, if we bring it into a civilian context, mm. how, how can we go about creating uh, opportunities for growth and uh, those kind of experiences and states in a civilian environment to help people grow and develop? I feel like one of the things that we aren't particularly, aren't as good at is bringing the white closer to the, to the mind of the beholder. So what I mean by that is that oftentimes we end up creating functions, roles, activities, projects that appear dislocated from the sorts of things that the organization is there to do. Mm -hmm. And so 
we convolute the journey of engagement between the individual and the end outcome mm -hmm. with frightful regularity. Yes. And so coming back to that white noise, that mm -hmm. appears to be the common mm -hmm. theme mm -hmm. now, um, what can be done a lot better is finding ways within which we can captivate the talent that we have in a way that matters to them, but also that creates that sense of deep belonging to mm -hmm. the mission and vision that the organization is there to achieve. I don't think units such as the SAS or even the counter-terrorist group have the luxury to occupy brains with as much as what we do in the civilian space. And so um, that I believe is an opportunity for us. How do we connect each member of our team to the why that we are part of? Mm -hmm. How do we make space for them to thrive in a way that matters to them, but also to enable the end outcome? Mm. And like we said earlier, even if we are aiming to just do great with what we've got with the talent that we have, mm -hmm. and we aren't trying to be great humans, mm -hmm. that's vitally important for productivity, for achievement, mm -hmm. for finding ways to be better as an organization. So bring the why closer to the mind of the beholder mm -hmm. and create the opportunities for that talent to thrive in a way that matters to them mm -hmm. towards that goal. Yep. That's not difficult. Mm -hmm. We're making it difficult. Mm -hmm. We're making it difficult because of sometimes ego, sometimes poor leadership capabilities, sometimes too much white noise. Mm -hmm. So Okay. Yeah. And if an if an organization is not clear on their why, mm -hmm. how do they go about discovering it? Why are they going about anything without being clear on their why? Um, what are they doing? I share the I share the same <laughs> uh, opinion. I, mean? I totally what share the same opinion. Yes. But you know, we've worked with thousands of organisations now, mm -hmm. and very few of them, when you know, when we very first start working with yes. them, can clearly articulate their why. Mm. Now that concerns me to no end. Mm. I know that we can survive for a little while because we've got stuff, right? We've got momentum. We've got stuff to do. Sure. But none of these things are connected to the end outcome. Mm. And we end up wasting resource. We end up you know, wasting time. We mm -hmm. end up costing way too much. Yeah. So I don't, it's sinful. Can we stop that? Can we stop? <laughs> <laughs> should, be, should be a new law passed. It if you don't know your why, you're, you're, you're gone. At yeah. least the bylaw. Yeah. Let's start yeah. with the bylaw. Yeah. But we yeah. need to have that. And so, and so in, in the process, then that, that, do you know how much, you, you've noticed it, you've been there, you've done that as well, you know, how much of the narrative as you're walking down the corridors of organizations is about, I don't know what, why we are doing this, or I don't know how we are doing mm -hmm. this, or I'm not agreeing with it, but I'm just going to crack on anyway because that yeah. pays my bills. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, it is. And then uh, leaders get frustrated that their employees are departing the organization and they're going, oh, why are you, why are you leaving? What's going on? Of and it's, uh, it's um, of course, they're not connected. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, a lot of the research coming through now, particularly as we've got a, um, you know, a younger generation, millennials right. and those things kind of coming through, when uh, we think about those traditional factors of, oh, how much do you get paid and what's your title and those kind of things that mm -hmm. I think used to drive and motivate people previously, you know, they're way down the list on, on that motivation now. Absolutely. Yeah. How are you going to help me learn? How are you going to help me grow? Do That's I right. believe in what your organization is doing? Those are the ones that are at the, at the top. And actually articulating, articulating in a way that is believable, that is true. Mm. You know, because we know that we are dealing with humans that have far more access to information than any previous generation has had. Yep. We've got a global market. We've got global competition for talent. So slim chance of us retaining anyone who is willing to give it their all Totally. If we weren't clear on this. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Just to make sure we don't forget our why we have it on the back of our t shirts. So On so the back of your t shirts? How often do you like <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. I love it. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. 
Yeah. Very so, good. So, so we uh, business never, leaders' never, life ne- changed for good. I absolutely. Like That's fantastic. That's um, you've had some uh, frontline experience with the Defence Force, <laughs> and uh, understand you yeah. had a um, uh, particularly mm, confronting situation when you were in Syria. Yes. Can you tell us how you came to be in Syria, and then can you share um, what happened in that experience and what you learned? So that. Um, that challenging boss of mine mm-hmm. decided at some stage in my career when I was feeling like I'm rusting out that he was going to select me to be uh, a UN military observer um, for a mission called ANSO, which is the first UN military mission in, um, in the world. An extraordinary mission right. that, that operates across five areas, so five mm-hmm. countries, Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Syria, and Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And so I was sent there with a cohort, uh, so you have 42 troop contributing countries uh, that have to select members of it. And mm-hmm. what you end up having is that you have cohorts that are comprised of people who come from different countries. Yes. So that when you have military observers mm-hmm. on the ground, you have you know an impartiality. Mm-hmm. So I was sent to this mission. Again, I didn't quite know what I was doing. Uh, not professionally, I mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> but, um, Were you excited? Were you like, this is- I was is thrilled. Yeah, cool. I was thrilled. It was an extraordinary honor. Um, Chiefly because there weren't very many specialists from the military that are selected for this mission. Mm-hmm. They were usually, particularly at that stage, which is 2013 and 14, mm-hmm. there were obviously a whole heap of challenges, in, and as they are now, but um, at the time, a whole heap of challenges in the Middle East. And so usually we would send you know, traditional infantry officers. So I was quite lucky, mm. very, very lucky. And I was doubly lucky because out of the five options where I was selected to be was Syria. And I thought that this was an extraordinary gift in and of itself. So why? I deployed there. Why, why was Syria particularly? Because it had, of course, 2013 layers of additional complexity, a whole heap to be done. You don't like simple, do you? Does anyone? <laughs> I think some people I need do. To learn from them. Yeah, some people. Some people are on the continuum. Yeah, they're like a little simple. I, th- I think you like complex. You There's like challenging. So much to be experienced in life. Yeah. You know, wouldn't you want to be where you could help the most? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it was a great blessing. Yep. And yeah. how long was the deployment for? How long were you going to be on the ground? So I was going to be on the ground for a year, which is the typical length of time. I ended up being there for a little longer, mm-hmm. um, just because there were a lot of lessons learned that we needed to convey and, and package mm-hmm. for everyone to follow. Yeah. Um, so it was an extraordinary, extraordinary gift. Now I went there, I forgot to mention that to um, with the view of taking time away from being a psychologist and being a normal officer, whatever that might mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a normal officer. Yeah. Um, Good luck putting a definition around that one. Yeah, yeah. that's right, it hardly ever hardly ever happens, right? But um, very, very quickly in the process, it emerged that there was no way of separating these two and, and psychology needed to creep into it. So so that's how the journey unfolded. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you had a particular incident? Particularly, inc- yes. Yeah. <laughs> we had several several incidents, okay. but the one that ended up gaining the most attention, and, 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 and I suspect it was kind of the, it was the most confronting, objectively speaking, as well, is that in uh, May 2013, myself and two others were taken hostage um, from a UN military position. Now, our case was really, really unique for a number of different reasons. So we had had military observers who had been taken hostage by that stage, but that had been done when they were out of UN, um, I guess, facilities. Mm -hmm. And in the 40, I think, seven years that the mission had been on the ground, there had never been a break-in into a UN facility right. and, and military observers being taken hostage mm-hmm. from it. So it really demonstrated that three generations of Syrians had stopped paying attention to the 
uh, impenetrable, perceived impenetrable boundaries of neuron sure. compounds. Mm -hmm. um, the three of us were in really peculiar space. So there's a gorgeous area between the villages of Braik and Birojam, perched up on top of a hill, mm -hmm. completely isolated, no weapons. So military observers in that particular mission aren't um, right. unarmed because they um, that may escalate a situation. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be able to come mm -hmm. step in and calm mm -hmm. things down mm -hmm. without a gun. So with this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so there's that old saying like turning up, turning up to a uh, gunfight with a knife, but you were turning up to the gunfight with just we just smiles, just you, smiles, we just, we just smiles, some, some good chat. That's stories. right, right. And it worked for us. Yeah. So uh, in the middle of the night, three of us were taken hostage, unarmed, by 38 heavily armed military wow. militia. Wow. I know. You think, come on, what were you thinking? Why, mm. why that? But you know. Um, so I have to be honest. Yep. Sorry. Oh, I was going to so you know, right at that uh, being taken hostage. Do yeah. you um, feel like all the training that you done like kicked in, kicked in straight away, or was it just a you know with your uh, were you just managing the situation kind of best you could? What were you thinking right at that that moment? See, I was so I was so grateful for all the training that I had been given and all the conditioning that we had already uh, by that stage. The the situation was completely unexpected. So it was two o'clock in the morning, I was asleep. We had one of our colleagues on standby. So I actually got woken up by the mayday call he was making to um, our headquarters mm -hmm. to signal that things were bad. We had had previous scenarios where I'd heard that same mayday call mate, um, mm -hmm. but I didn't expect to see someone <laughs> pointing a gun at my face um, yeah. at that time as well. And so it was quite interesting that the, the first opportunity to strike a conversation and to, the, to establish a relationship was um, what crossed my mind and that's the stuff that comes from, mm. from drills and training. Mm. Mm. Um, so the training that we had done up until that stage, I remember previously thinking, well, why are we doing this? This is unnecessary or this feels a little cold warish. Yes. You know that moment yeah. where you think, yeah. aha, I've mm -hmm. got it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, quite, a, quite a harsh way to learn the lesson. Very. Yeah. <laughs> never say yeah. never to learning, yeah. you know, because you just have no idea when it might come in handy. Mm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a very useful um, mm. moment to kind of appreciate and respect everything you'd been given. Sure. What kept us well for a little while, so, um, was that I actually assumed that we were conducting a training exercise. <laughs> really? So I assumed that the UN is just send role players because it, right. it just seemed excessive. Right. And then very quickly you realized that this was not, this was not an activity. Was that when you went, okay guys, Ooh. training's over. Can I go back to bed now? It didn't work. <laughs> I haven't even got my makeup on. Yeah. Come on, please, can we just cool down a little? No. Wow. Yes, yeah, so yeah, it was a really and quick turn of events. What, what transpired? So you were taken, yeah. I assume you were taken out of the UN compound and taken somewhere else? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it, was, it was fascinating. So interestingly that, that um, we, t we tried to barter for a little bit. We tried to offer a uh, resource. This is what we are challenged to do. You know, ask them what they actually need. We quickly realized that they weren't there to negotiate what they wanted to do. And this is what they instructed us will do is that we're going to make a bad video of us. And the uh, videos of decapitation were traveling quite a bit. Uh, at the time as, I guess, um, an example of how a, a warring party is demonstrating the commitment to the mission, right? And so that was the, that was the really icky part <laughs> of the equation. And what transpired after we realized that we can't negotiate, we walked through minefields, but, but that bit was really important. Um, we were split. We could hear that different ones of us were treated differently. Um, and then we were surrounded by a minefield, which we thought was our protective 
sort of blanket. Mm -hmm. And we realized the group that was taking us had skipped and hopped through that minefield for, <laughs> for decades, so they knew that it was a safe zone for, right. for us to go right. into. Um, but even though we had a whole heap of distress, one of my colleagues with whom we had been training that very morning and listening to um, a song by The Prodigy, mm -hmm. we walked through minefields. Right. He turned around to me at one yeah. point and said, we are doing it for real. And in that little moment, we realized that even though we were in pretty bad state and things were going to unravel for us, that moment of humor and the effort he made to connect back, yes. to look back and yep. to kind of bring in mm -hmm. that, we still have control over that look. Yep. We had, this mm -hmm. is like the song we were just listening mm -hmm. to. It was incredibly powerful. Right. Yeah, we paid for our humor, but it was good enough. <laughs> it, it was right. good enough to give us the, the hand up for, for a little while. So it was an extraordinary event. Mm. And then after a while, we were taken to a location um, that was quite, um, it was quite surreal to be a part of because we had observed that location be evacuated. We had observed it being the hot zone, an extraordinary little village that had been obliterated by, right. by crossfire mm -hmm. by that mm -hmm. stage. Um, and the house we were taken in had the remnants of wonderful family life all over it, right. you know, kids' right. shoes, yeah, okay. pictures on the walls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we were taken there and we were right in the middle of the crossfire. Um, mm -hmm. And somehow we managed to talk our way out of it. By the way, <laughs> as you may guess by now already, my colleague said that the reason why we were let go is that I talked so much, the rebels were like, yeah, maybe, maybe send them back, get another group. We're sick of this one, she just talks all the time. So many questions, right. it's horrible. Right. Yeah. In, um, was language a barrier? Initially, we did only have, we only had a few words, um, but you know, a few, few gestures can, can break ice, mm. um, no matter what, no, no matter the language barriers. And eventually we earned the opportunity to speak to someone who knew English, who was there all right. along, right. but wouldn't right. connect with mm -hmm. us. So that was a that was a fantastic moment when mm. we realized that they were keen to actually converse mm. with us. Mm. Yeah. And obviously the uh, group that took you hostage, they had a, an intent, you know, a, a nasty intent. You know, nasty doesn't is not even an appropriate word because it was yeah. so far beyond that. But um, a nasty intent to begin with. What is it that you felt changed? Um, other than talking them out of it, <laughs> you, know, yeah. I mean, you know, talking too much. Uh, yeah. um, what What do you feel like you were able to achieve? Was it Was it human connection that you got with them? Was yeah. it that um, you felt you could, you know, the, you express them, you'd be able to share their story back inside the UN and other organisations? You know, what was the What was the thing that turned them from their initial intent to obviously ultimately releasing you? It was really It was really difficult for us to. Retrospectively, it could have been anything. Retrospectively, yeah. it could have been a training exercise for them. It could have been all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, we all agree on a distinct moment at which uh, a, translate, uh, a dictionary was requested by one of the older gentlemen in the group. Right. Um, right. And he pointed at the word humility in mm -hmm. it. Um, and so he felt like we are paying attention, that we were genuinely interested in understanding mm -hmm. what the needs were. Mm -hmm. And so for us, finding a way to have a conversation with your adversary and maintain mm. that unbridled mm. curiosity of what is it that sits mm -hmm. behind that for you. Nobody would cause themselves the degree of pain they were preparing to experience unless they wanted something out of it. And yeah. chopping our heads off didn't appear the smartest way of achieving a positive intent. Mm. Um, so we needed to find a way to understand what it is that they were wanting from it. What was the actual why mm. for them? Yeah. And, and then find a different how. Yeah, that understanding the why. Absolutely. Is it, you know, I think in a... Um, 
it's such an extreme example that you've you've told us about yeah. but even in a, um, a civilian context as mm. uh, organizations think about what's our customers why absolutely what's our suppliers why what's yeah. our employees why know, what's our, our why asking that, that question because we can we can be so uh, insular yeah. yeah thinking internally so much but always thinking about why I appreciate the link really you just good. made. I mean, yeah. imagine if we if we bring it up to that level, then you've got so much more, so much more room to tango dance harmoniously in it. But if we are stuck in the what's, mm -hmm. the thing, or the hows mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. we do, we don't. We are worlds apart. And mm. so the goal for us needs to be is to find those multiple points of interconnectedness, mm. to cross-pollinate ideas, and to yeah. find a way within which we can jointly mm. achieve beyond expectations. Mm. This is what happened in our case. And mm. mm. how did that experience impact you personally? I treasure it immensely um, because it helped us, it helped me personally appreciate humility on the mm -hmm. one side of the continuum mm -hmm. uh, and, and most importantly the extraordinary link that connects all of us if we just give it a minute, if we just give a minute to understand what sits behind mm. the story or the face we assume is in place. If we stop jumping the ladder of inference mm. and just pause long enough to mm. hear what sits behind it, it's an extraordinary opportunity that we all mm. hold. If we can find an opportunity to jointly influence an outcome, even with your worst of adversaries, imagine what stands in front of us as an opportunity. Yeah. If we just disconnect it from judgment a little mm. longer mm. Um, mm. to discover. Yeah, mm. I, I've recently returned from South Africa mm -hmm. and uh, got an amazing museum in Johannesburg called the Apartheid Museum and it, it kind of looks at the history of apartheid in South Africa and really how it started you know, two or three hundred years earlier than, yes. than when, it, when it came in. Um, but uh, there was a, a piece that Nelson Mandela had, had talked about that um, uh, you know, violence is never going to solve anything. Mm -hmm. But sometimes violence is what you need to get people to the negotiation table. Yes. And I think when we see in a, um, a global a global space, mm. um, we'd love to be able to with every with every uh, nation with every culture, we'd love to be able to go straight to the negotiation table. Yes. Unfortunately, sometimes we can't we can't get there without some uh, some challenge and some trauma beforehand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that must have been humbling to see. Actually. Oh, look. Um, it, it was phenomenal. Uh, uh, I could have I could have spent days days there, mm. and it was uh, really interesting. I have a 14-year-old daughter and 12-year-old son, and uh, just to see how engaged they were in Sweet. what had gone on, and to have some appreciation of what a uh, challenging, challenging, challenging environment so many people had. Uh, Growing up in um, you know, no fault of their their own, absolutely. Um, you know, literally as um, uh, brutal as the colour of your skin mm -hmm. uh, influenced the the outcome you had in that that country. Yeah. Um, it was yeah a phenomenally humbling humbling experience. Um, and then the next day we went to Soweto. Yes. And uh, again to still see the. Uh, challenging environments that people live in, and you know, it, it's it's almost like any uh, society, Soweto itself, where there's yeah. there's actually there's significant affluence in Soweto, but there's still people living in shanty towns and, and uh, you know corrugated iron shacks with um, only a community tap and um, you know, portaloo type type facilities, and it was uh, yeah it was amazing insight. Um, mm. you know, I know resilience is one of your words that you you yes. talk about, yeah. and to see people. Uh, living daily daily basis with that kind of level of resilience was like wow extraordinary yeah, right? it was it was we so, have so much work to do oh we do so much we work do. to do mm. we do um, your PhD was in resilience 
Yes, you know? my accidental what's, what's, PhD. Yeah, accidental. <laughs> Most of them are, aren't they? I hope so. Yeah, I think I they hope are. So. I think they are. Um, what's your What's your definition of resilience? Mm. Without the how Pages many how many thousands of words <laughs> was in that thesis? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I've forgotten. But the 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 kind of resilience I've decided we I've decided. I feel as if we need to be focusing on. You know, people speak of resilience as this, the bounciness. There's a lot of bounciness, bouncing back. There's a quote, I don't know how long ago it was written, bouncing back following an untoward event, whatever that might mean, yeah. <laughs> according to whom. Yeah. But it's that we tend to be focusing on, the, on massive spikes, on significant stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing with frightful regularity that a lot of what takes away from us is just a little, a little pebble in your shoe, a little stone that kind of eats away at mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. a little bit of mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. So... What we need to be focusing on as far as resilience is concerned is what does it take for us to thrive? What does it take for us to do better, to maintain some degree of subjective equilibrium mm -hmm. rather than focus on bouncing back? Yes. So this is the kind of resilience I think is maturing for us because mm -hmm. if we achieve that, then the rest of it does follow. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking forward to resilience if that word still hangs around mm -hmm. <laughs> for us to, um, to be reconceptualized into more of that Yep. maintaining equilibrium and thriving and seeking to grow and learn mm -hmm. rather than bouncing back following mm -hmm. an untoward event. So there's a shift to be made. Okay. So we've talked the extreme example of your um, Defence Force experience. Yes. How do you uh, achieve or seek to achieve resilience in your day-to-day you know, -day life now? What does that look like for you? So the best learning for me has been that the incidences that we experienced in the Middle East and the sort of challenges we were confronted with in the military were probably far less challenging than some of the challenges that I'm experiencing now as a civilian. I hate to admit Interesting. it. <laughs> Interesting. Absolutely. And this is what we need to give ourselves credit for. So, you know, in some of these acute environments, you are allowed to, you know, give, give a little bit of room for fight, flight, freeze, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you're a grumpy boss or if you're an undisciplined leader or mm -hmm. unaware leader, mm -hmm. is there giving you extra instructions when you, you know you haven't got the scope to deal with them. You're not allowed to you know, run away, play yes. dead, yeah. or punch them, yeah. even though you, your body tells <laughs> yeah. you to do it. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and we know that the sorts of stuff we get bombarded with out here, we, we have much less of the filter that you get in some of these acute conditions where you are kind of isolated. Your brain is focusing on what matters most. So what have I learned? The same principles that allowed us to thrive in situations of acute are the ones that apply on a daily basis. Minding where your mind goes, that's one of the first heuristics that we came upon. And it's been incredibly powerful to research it across contexts as well. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just the UN experience, mm -hmm. that was just the catalyst to crystallize sure. what helped us. But unfolding it with a variety of different groups after the fact as I was doing my research has been immensely helpful. Maintaining cognitive discipline. Can right? I jump on that one? So if I go, um, my mind somewhere that it, it uh, is not you know, in a good place, it's not delivering value to me, yeah. how do I, if I have that awareness that I'm not, my mind's not in a good spot, how do I shift it? Most of the time, we don't even have the awareness that this is not a useful place for us. Right. Or even if we do, there is a lot of fear that is attached to, I need to stay there because better the devil I know, mm -hmm. or this is the stuff that's keeping me safe and sane, or... If I've been frizzled out of my mind for excessive periods of time, and if I stop being a grumpy or uncomfortable person, then perhaps I'll get blindsided. Mm -hmm. So we need, to be, we need to start off with awareness of this isn't good for me, or this isn't good for everyone around me. And secondly, pause long enough to understand what it is that this particular state of mind is trying to contribute to us. What is it, what is it that they're trying to deliver for mm -hmm. us? 
what is the signal that our brain is reading as threatening or uncomfortable mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. that is driving us there. And once we've understood that bit, the thing that it's supposed to be serving us, we think of what different ways do we have to minimize that risk yep. or what ways do we have to... Um, or is it real or just perceived absolutely. risk? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Where does it come from? Mm. You know, it, it, I, I know you've seen that as well when you work with leaders, but um, it, it's extraordinary to observe the number of times when we don't give ourselves the opportunity to explore. Why is this working for me in that way? What's it behind it, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think that uh, predominantly comes back to the white noise bit, right? Absolutely. So busy being busy yes. that actually even the thought of uh, stopping for 10 minutes and reflecting on where are we at, what's going on in our head, how is our team reacting, yeah. uh, what's going on, what's the vibe in our organisation, we, we won't even give it 10 minutes. Absolutely. Because we go, oh, well, that, that's not productive, that's not ticking something else off the list. Which of those things is going to add the value? Yes. Taking 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's sure. right. When we talk with our members, we talk not just about business, but about life. Yeah. Um, we think our priority goes health, family, work, mm -hmm. and you've got to organise life in, in that, uh, that criteria. So we have the sense that not a lot matters, but what matters matters a lot. I like that. Yeah? That's great. Yeah. yeah. What, what matters a lot to you? Not just in business, oh. but in, you know, in life? Well, instantly, uh, when you said health, family, work, my son, my son is a, is a, is a really obviously vital um, component of my life. And what mm. I really love about everything I do is that I've come to a place where I realize I feel accountable to create an impression in him that um, earns my keep in his life for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when I think of work, my work needs to be one that allows him to um, grow and learn as well with the narratives that I collect over time. Mm -hmm. um, when I think of how I might lead as a leader, I consciously think of what would my son think of me? Um, awesome. What would be the legacy that I'm leaving with mm -hmm. him? What, mm -hmm. would, what would he do if he witnessed the way in which I engage? Um, so it's been remarkable. He is the source of my health uh, mm -hmm. and the deepest inspiration for the work I do because I need him to be in an environment that is more aware yeah, yeah, yeah. and yep. that is more connected yep. with their why. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. <laughs> of all the things you've been a, been a part of, I mean, we were talking this morning when you arrived about the work you're doing at uh, Corrections, Corrections yes. uh, women's facilities. Yeah. Um, you've been in the Defence Force, you've worked with corporates. Yes. Um, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the fact that I find myself useful uh, and I find myself very useful a lot of the time. So every day at my work, I know it sounds strange, but uh, at a con I've just concluded uh, a few seg segments of work that I've focused on for quite a lot of time. And the sense of satisfaction in the end when you feel that your client, as it is in my case, has really benefited. The moments of opening and insights and safety that is sponsored by a carefully designed environment is extraordinary. So I'm most proud of the fact that I am useful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I connect with that so much. It's, mm -hmm. it's why we do what we do yeah. when we work with our members and you see the, sometimes it's the light bulb moment, sometimes it's a slow gradual transformation over, over time, uh, sometimes it's uh, people coming to the realisation that um, actually when I do health family work, things yes. go, go better, yeah. um, but seeing that, that change and transformation in people is so rewarding. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, it is amazing. Even when you see the little shift that then some months later has created a tectonic shift in someone's life, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. just extraordinary. Yep. So, 
And sometimes that starts with, uh, Ryan, what you're saying is an absolute load of rubbish and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and that's okay, even though it hurts yeah. a little at yeah, the beginning. Yeah, it, it hurts a little, but uh, <laughs> normally, it, normally it comes back and it might be a week or a month or a year later and they're like, yep. oh, actually, that thing you said, mm, that was actually quite true. Mm-hmm. Kind of works, works pretty well. Um, with now life experience on board, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I think... I, I like mind where your mind goes. You know, I like mind where your mind goes. I like I like that heuristic because I'm mindful of how many things we can perceive as confronting, and that's true. Our brains are designed to do so. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel as if the capacity to belong and make better, to improve, to enhance an environment around you is, is incredibly helpful. I wish I'd given myself permission to do that a bit more bravely a little earlier on. Mm-hmm. And also... Um, I don't know, being being brave around developing self-awareness a little earlier mm. so that you don't have mm. to feel like you fold yourself into a pretzel yes. in different yes. environments. So yes. that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but there is a there is an element of, you know, enjoying the journey as well that I appreciate. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Mm. What do you think you'll be doing in 10 years' time? I have absolutely no idea and I see uh, nothing but, I guess, a reason to be excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> so... What I'm hopeful I can continue to do is to contribute, uh, and and I hope more of us have that appetite and hunger for it. So, mm. awesome. Yeah. And if I was to give you a million dollars right now, but said you have to spend it tomorrow, mm. what would you use it for? Whew. Okay, what did we talk about at the beginning? Beach, <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah. Beach vodka, wine. Yeah, no. yeah. Um, no, what I I sound like quite a good combo actually. No, doesn't it? <laughs> what would I spend it on? So I don't know whether any of us, uh, if we were paying attention, uh, able to disconnect from all of the things that are happening around us right now. I mean, you just talked about South Africa, about um, mm-hmm. humans who exist below the poverty line, who are um, ostracized for absolutely no reason. We have, I guess, environmental crises. We have organizations that desperately need talent they cannot afford to buy. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. There are a multitude mm-hmm. of different ways mm-hmm. in which we can contribute. And mm-hmm. so what I'd probably do is locate as many causes as I possibly can to help mm-hmm. some of these things unfold a little faster. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people say like Ferrari or something, but... Yeah. Would they really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. Yeah, far more, far more uh, altruistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, absolutely. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And if you could have a uh, superpower that yes. you could use... You know, for the world in your in your business and your consulting, you know, as a parent, you know, whatever it might be, what superpower would you like to have? <sighs> I feel I've got it. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> I was just thinking, what would be the kind of superpower that would be most helpful? Um, let me come back to that word of curiosity because mine is mine requires um, a little bit. I think every human requires to unbridle the curiosity even more. And so I feel if I was to genuinely contribute and to be as meaningful as I'd like to be in the way I engage with my environment, if I was to access my curiosity a little more often, a little bit more meaningfully, I could probably do just a little better in my ability to contribute. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to have a bit more access to my curiosity Mm -hmm. and to continuously, actually to get get access to ways in which I can cut out the white noise in my mind. Yep. A little faster. Mm-hmm. That would be an awesome superpower. 
Mm. Sounds like your superpower is already quite well developed. You know, a little <laughs> bit more to go, but pretty well well developed. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Ali, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Your um, insights you, you've given, I'm sure, are powerful. They've been powerful for me, and I'm sure they'll be powerful for our audience as well. Thank you. Um, really want to acknowledge how willing you've been to share. It's really obvious that you you think a lot more about your effect on the on the world, mm. and you know not just about being self-centered. And I think all too often we're worried about uh, you know the next house, the next car, the next holiday, the next whatever. You're, you're uh, thinking about um, how you can contribute, how you can affect the lives of others is just just brilliant so thanks for joining us thank you for having me it's been a pleasure thank you thanks Ali. thanks